However, he played his role as king not by storming into Rome on a war horse with a sword and taking over the government that way. He became king not in spite of the fact that he died on the cross, but Jesus is enthroned as glorious king because he was willing to die in the place of his people. That is the king we have. We'll see that in our text. So if you have your Bible, will you please turn with me to John 19. John chapter 19. It's also reprinted on the back of your bulletin. Today we're in verses 17 through 24. I'm going to read the whole passage and uh, then we'll get to it. But before I do that, uh, let me pray for our time in the Word. Let's pray. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Thank you so much for your Word. Without your Word, we would have only gotten a moment to see your Son at a certain time in history. But leading up to the coming of your Son, during his lifetime, and now for 2,000 years since he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of you, Father, we have had your word, the Bible, to be nourished from, to feed out of, to study, to cherish, to commit to memory, to hide in our hearts, and each week you feed us from it. So we trust now that as we look at your word that you have much to feed us with, that you will do for our hearts what we desperately need you to do, that you will take our fears and worries and anxieties from this past week and fears, anxieties, and worries for this coming week, and you will silence them all with your gloriously good word. Give us eyes to see your glory right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. John chapter 19, verses 17 through 24. This is the word of our Lord. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. 
the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this short account, we have four characters or groups of characters. We've got Jesus who bears his own cross, and we'll look at that for a moment. We have two criminals crucified on either side of Jesus. We have Pilate who wrote an inscription above the cross. And then we have the soldiers who divided his garments. So we've got four groups. We'll look at them one at a time. First, let's look at Jesus who bears his own cross. Verse 17 again. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. All right, John's focus in the Gospel of John is quite different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He gives different details of the account. They don't contradict at all, but John's focus is on the obedience of Jesus. John wants us to think that when all of this is happening, Jesus is obediently following the Father's will. He is obeying the Father. He is doing what God has called him to do as hard as it is. So even though it is the soldiers who crucified him, the soldiers whipped him, the soldiers dressed him up, the soldiers took him out, the soldiers made him carry his cross, the soldiers nailed him to the cross, John's focus is on how Jesus bore his own cross. 17, and he went out bearing his own cross. If you're new to Christianity, maybe you don't know what crucifixion is. We've got an empty cross here hanging behind me, and that looks very similar to what a first century cross would have looked like. It's possible it was a lowercase t. It's possible it was an uppercase t. But the vertical beam of the cross was already up on the hill or the place of crucifixion, and it was ready in the ground. And after they beat you to within an inch of life, uh, they made you carry the horizontal beam as far as you could make it all the way up to where you would be crucified. So the vertical beam is up there. And as far as we know, there were at least three because you've got three people on the crosses a little later in the story. And then once you get up to there, you've carried your cross up the hill. Uh, They nail you or rope you or otherwise attach you to the wood. And then they put you up to die a horrible death. You're there until you die. We learn from other gospels that Jesus was so weak from the whippings and he at least got one and it's possible he received two whippings. He was so weak from that that he couldn't make it all the way carrying his own cross. And another man, Simon, is asked to help carry his cross all the way up the hill. So John's focus is on the obedience of Jesus. He wants us to know how obedient and willing Jesus was in all of this moment. Because this was the plan. Crucifixion was the plan. Jesus obeyed. He carried his cross until he collapsed. Every excruciating step was obedience to the Father and love for you until he fell to the ground with no energy left. And John wants you to think about the obedience of Jesus for you. As we sang, come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold. This was the Father's plan. This was not the backup plan. Jesus was going to go to the cross because we needed a perfect substitute to die in our place. Jesus carried his own cross. 
If our, bet, if our debt had been $1 million, then Jesus would have had to pay it out of his own pocket. But the father didn't hand Jesus a million dollars to pay the banker because money wasn't what we owed. Jesus came to pay for our sins and the wages of sin is death. And so it had to be his own life that he gave. And a sinner couldn't stand in for a sinner. In the old covenant sacrificial system, you can't have a blemished lamb stand in for the sins of the people. It has to be a, a, an unblemished lamb. We know it had to be a perfect human being to stand in our place. And so instead of handing Jesus the money to pay the debt, our heavenly father hands the son a wooden beam to carry his own cross. And the beam was his own, even though he died in our place. That cross was reserved for Jesus. Uh, A couple weeks ago, our four kids all had to memorize a speech. I won't tell you uh, what the other three had to memorize, and don't ask them to do it, please. But uh, they each had to memorize a speech. It was either scripture or uh, a poem or a famous historical speech. And one of our kids memorized a poem called, The Cross Was His Own. And it was so beautiful, as my one son was saying it, uh, that I wanted to read it briefly. It gets right to the heart of this passage and what, the, um, what John wants us to focus on. The fact that the cross that Jesus bore was his cross. It goes, they borrowed a bed to lay his head when Christ the Lord came down. They borrowed the donkey in the mountain pass for him to ride to town, but the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. He borrowed the bread when the crowd he fed on the grassy mountainside. He borrowed the dish of broken fish with which he satisfied, but the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. He borrowed a room on the way to the tomb, the Passover lamb to eat. They borrowed the cave for him, a grave. They borrowed the winding sheet, but the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own. And so the apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins In his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Amen? So on the cross, it's his cross, our sins. His body, our righteousness. His wounds for our healing. And so at the end of the poem, there's one more phrase. It goes, the thorns on his head were born in my stead. For me, the Savior died. For guilt of my sin, the nails drove in when him they crucified. And then it changes the wording at the end. So we get the point and the point John is making. Though the crown that he wore and the cross that he bore were his own, they were rightly mine instead. I deserved that. I deserved that. The middle cross was empty. Jesus got on it. I deserved it. We deserved it. But on that day, it was his cross, our sins, his body, our righteousness, his wounds, our healing. And Jesus was obedient to the Father all the way to the end. Philippians 2, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know how hard it is to obey rules you don't agree with. (laughs) Kids know that. Teenagers know that. I don't, I don't know if I like that rule. I disagree. Let's make a different rule. And you know, if you've worked or if you've had rules imposed on you that you just don't like from the government, whatever it might be, you know how hard it is to obey when you don't agree or you don't like the rules. But what, what Jesus did was he didn't just go along with a rule. 
He agreed with, because he did agree with it, to go to the cross. Uh, But it was so physically and emotionally difficult for him to do that. So it's even harder to go through with something to obey when you know it's going to be painful. So Jesus actually agreed with the plan for him to be the crucified Savior. But how hard was it? He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that's the first character we have, Jesus, who bears his own cross. And he did it for you and for me. But he's not the only one in the story. Second, we have two others crucified on either side. Look at verse 18. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. All right, so there's two other guys hanging on the cross. There's at least three. There could have been 20 or 40 or 80, but there were three. At the, that morning, there were at least three vertical posts up in the ground, up on top of the hill. And then at least three people made their way up, and they would have known that this was their sentence. So until Barabbas was spared by the people, Barabbas was probably the one headed to that middle cross. But these other two guys on either side of Jesus knew this was going to be the day of their execution. And so the word that is used in Matthew and Luke for the guys who are on both sides of Jesus is the same word used for Barabbas. And you remember from last week or two weeks ago that Barabbas was part of a murderous insurrection and not petty theft. He was part of an overthrow, seditious act of a group, probably a gang where multiple people were killed in a murderous revolution. So here you have, visualize this, picture it, innocent Jesus hung up on a cross between two death row inmates. And what we see is that he was there with the criminals so that he could stand in for criminals. Jesus was there with and between the criminals so that he could stand in for criminals. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, the Messiah was foreshadowed in Isaiah, in places like Isaiah 53. Let me read this from verse 12. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So Isaiah said the Messiah was going to be numbered, counted, grouped with the transgressors, the sinners, the criminals, so that he could make intercession for the transgressors. So it's beautiful that he was on the middle cross. He was there with the criminals so that he could stand in for the criminals. And that's quite the picture, isn't it? As far as I know, very few of you are murderous revolutionaries. Hopefully none of you are. But we've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Over and over in the gospel, the sinless Savior and sinners who needed a Savior. That is the contrast. And so maybe you haven't committed seditious, murderous, revolutionary work. But in Galatians 5, we learn of the fruit of the Spirit. And right before that list, here's another list. Maybe we're guilty on at least some of these. I know I am. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And so we see our own hearts on those lists of sins. We all know that we deserve the wages of sin, which is death. And maybe you think, I don't know, that list, I haven't done any of those recently. Well, Jesus wants us to know that it's not just committing murder that counts as guilty of murder. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And now you should be convinced. We have all sinned. And so on the middle cross... It's not us, it's Jesus between two sinners. But he was there to reclaim us. As we sang, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And so here's a huge point in John's Gospel. Like the two criminals on either side of Jesus, we deserved to be on that empty cross. However, we can't get onto the cross ourselves. We can't just say, all right, I'll pay for my sins. I'll die and I'll do enough good in my life to make up for the evil that I've done. It doesn't work that way. But so many people are tempted to think that I guess if I'm a sinner, I just have to do enough good to get back into God's good graces. Maybe if I've done more good than evil. Maybe if I've earned more merit than demerit. Maybe if I've been nicer than I've been mean. We think that in this country, a lot of people have a religion where we can pay off our own debt by good works and acts of kindness, thinking that that will help us avoid hell and win heaven as if it's some kind of board game where if you score enough points, you get in at the end. No, we've sinned against an infinitely holy God all through our lives since birth. We needed Not a sinful Savior to take our place. We needed a sinless Savior, a perfect sacrifice. And there he was on that middle cross between two death row inmates willing to be there for us. So we've got those two criminals on either side and we're reminded that we deserve to be on one as well. Well, who sent Jesus to that cross? The Roman governor, Pilate. Our third person in the story, in this account, Pilate, who writes an inscription. If you don't know, Pilate is the Roman governor of the Judean region. I'll look at verses 19 through 22 again. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. All right, so this is pretty simple. Pilate wanted to write the crime on top of the cross so that everyone walking by could see That if you claim to be king, if you threaten the Roman government, if you get in the way of the business of our government, you will end up here one day. You'll be on our cross like this man. That's what Pilate wants to do. So his crime, according to Pilate, was being king or claiming to be king. That's why that crime is up there. He's claiming to be the king of the Jews. That 
would have amounted to sedition and attempted overthrow of Roman authority. So Pilate has the crime written on a notice above the cross in three different languages. Why does John tell us that? It's so that everyone could read it. Here's what happened. Pilate wrote, here he is, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, up on a hill outside of Rome, outside of Jerusalem, so that the whole world could see Jesus is the King of the Jews. Jesus is the king. God had it written by Pilate so the whole world could see that it was actually true. Jesus was the king. It's a sign from God to the whole world, no matter what language you spoke. And now the Jewish people felt a little taunted by this. Remember, Pilate and the Jewish leaders are going back and forth. He's innocent. Well, kill him anyway, but I don't find him guilty of anything. Well, you know, we have our own laws. Pilate and the Jewish leaders are going back and forth. So the Jews probably felt taunted by this. Ha ha, look, the king of the Jews. Ha ha, everyone was laughing. But verse 22, after the Jews asked for an edit, please edit it. Verse 22, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Uh, Pilate leaves that mocking claim up to mock Jesus, to mock God's people, the Jews, to show off the power of Rome. And yet what we find out is that it wasn't really what Pilate wrote that he wrote. Pilate's words were not final because in a truer sense, this moment was what God had written from the beginning. This moment was God's design. Jesus, the king, displayed on a cross for the whole world to see. God's word is the word that prevails in this, not Pilate's word. And it's a theme in the whole Gospel of John. John 1.1 begins, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1.14, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus Christ. And now the word of God was on the cross. The word of Pilate was above the cross, but the word of God was on the cross, and the word of God has final say. The word was doing what God promised, and this humbles us as we sang. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. And this should humble us. And it also changes our own suffering. When you remember that everything Jesus went through was for God's purpose, was written by God's word, Jesus was able to obey the Father for the joy set before him. It not only changes how we understand the gospel, he did all that so we could receive it, but it changes our assignments from God. Because for some of you, and we heard a little bit in the testimonies, and we'll hear more Thanksgiving Eve when people share their testimonies. Some of you have been given very difficult assignments from God this year. For some of you, 2022 has been the hardest year of your life. You have suffered like you've never suffered before. And what John wants us to see and what God wants us to know, when Pilate's word is on the top, but the word of God is on the cross— this changes how we view even our own suffering. There is no wasted suffering. There is no suffering that God calls his people to go through that he does not use for our discipleship, our good, his glory. 
In our Sunday school class this morning, we talked about some jobs people have had that they didn't particularly enjoy. They didn't find a job they loved, and so they never worked a day in their life. They found a job, and they didn't like it at all. But God still used that for their glory. And some of you have shared about suffering you've gone through and how Jesus held your hand and walked you through the diagnosis and walked you into the operation room. And then walked with you on the other side of it and is still walking with you today. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, many of you know her. Uh, She has now been a quadriplegic for over 50 years. Uh, She dove into a a river and um, messed her neck up and has been a quadriplegic for over 50 years. I have an article from her. She wrote on her 50th anniversary of being in a wheelchair and unable to uh, use her body from basically the neck down. And she wrote this, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Because God hates suffering. God the Father did not smile with pure joy as his son was whipped and nailed to the cross and died of crucifixion. There was no glee in the Father, Son, and Spirit as this happened. There was joy in obedience and redemption coming to God's people who would trust in Jesus, but there was no gleeful laughter. The angels were not laughing along as Jesus collapsed to the ground as he's carrying his own cross. But God permits suffering, things he hates, to accomplish what he loves. God-ordained suffering accomplishes his purpose. And we see that very clearly as the word of God is on the cross and the suffering of Jesus is accomplishing redemption for you and me. So everything was going exactly according to plan. As Pilate wrote that inscription and doesn't edit it, God wanted the whole world to see Jesus was the true king. Fourth and finally, the soldiers, the soldiers who divided his garments. Verse 23 and 24 again. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And if any reader is saying, why in the world do we care about the soldiers and the clothing? Well, John tells us, good question. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. So the soldiers nailed the nails in, put Jesus on the cross, split up his clothing, and the one piece of clothing that couldn't be divided equally, they cast lots for his tunic. Why do we need to know this? The end of verse 24. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. All right, here's why this didn't happen. This is not what happened, what I'm about to say. Uh, Here's what didn't happen. A soldier who was on crucifixion duty that day uh, trusted in Jesus Christ earlier in that week and was reading his scriptures and got to a psalm where it talked about this in his devotional time. And he was checking out his devotions and he reads Psalm 22, 16, dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. 
I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And then that day, as he realizes who Jesus is, he tells the soldiers, guys, we need to gamble for his tunic for prophecy to be fulfilled. Let's do it. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. The soldiers were doing whatever they wanted The political actors were doing whatever they wanted. And yet John reminds us that God was in complete control. The word of God was on the cross and the word of God had predicted this to the exact detail that the soldiers would divide his garments and have a garment undividable so they'd cast lots for it. In the suffering of Jesus, God is in complete control. In our suffering, God is in complete control. And to spare us eternally from suffering, God was in complete control so that you and I could have a sinless Savior pay for our sins. These soldiers were fulfilling prophecy and they probably had no idea. And here's the point. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. He wasn't in control of the story. Caesar, the emperor of the Roman Empire, was not in control of the story. The high priest was not in control of the story. The Jewish leaders were not in control of the story. The soldiers were certainly not in control of the story. God was in control of the story. As hard as it was, this was not plan B. This was the plan. And so four groups of actors in this account. Jesus, who bears his own cross, Two criminals crucified on either side. Pilate, who wrote an inscription. And the soldiers who divided his garments. So how then do we evaluate this story? Well, Jesus was the Savior. And all the others, all the other actors were sinners in need of a Savior. Pilate and the soldiers were fulfilling God's prophecy. The plan was coming to its final moment. And as we're going to sing in a few moments, the cross of Jesus is an invitation for you. The cross of Jesus is an invitation for you. We're supposed to stare at Jesus on the cross and he invites us because there's one more actor in the story and it's us. As we read this account, Jesus bore his cross and he not only hopes, uh, invites us to find our hope through what he did on the cross, but do you know the invitation Jesus has for you? He invites you and I to follow him. He invites you and I to take up our own cross, to give our entire life to him, to put all of our trust in him. I grew up in a gospel preaching church, but for me, all it was was spiritual fire insurance. I was so glad I wasn't going to hell and I was going to heaven. And that was all I gave Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. Save me from hell, Jesus. Thank you. And I lived my life the rest of my life however I wanted. And so on Wednesday nights, I was at youth group. And on Sundays, I was in church. And I wasn't some horrible, murderous criminal. Don't get me wrong. But when I got to college, I saw that there was a difference between some people who claimed to follow Jesus Some people love Jesus for the fact that he saved them from sin and hell, and that's all they gave to Jesus. But other students in college were actually giving Jesus everything. And so that summer after my first year in college, I was reading at a a farmhouse alone in Mark chapter 8, 
And this is the moment the Lord Jesus Christ broke me down and showed me what the invitation was. Mark eight thirty four, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus carried his own cross that day and he died that afternoon. When Jesus says, carry your own cross, that's what you say to someone when they're going to die that afternoon. And so Jesus is not calling us, I don't think any of us today, to literally die physically today, biologically today, but he is calling us in light of his carrying his own cross to receive what he did and then to give him all of our lives and to carry our own cross. We are invited to die to ourselves so that we might be set free, to give up control of our career prospects, our reputation, our financial futures, our relationships. It's free, the free gift of grace from Jesus, but it is costly but it sets you free. Now, don't get the math wrong. Don't get the math wrong. We don't earn salvation by taking up our own cross and following Jesus. Jesus accomplished our salvation. All we do in that redemption is we believe and we receive that gift from God. It is a free gift of God. Don't get the math wrong. But then we respond to Jesus on the cross in our stead and we're humbled It redeems all of the suffering we go through because it's all for his glory and it all has a purpose. And then we come and die to ourselves as we're about to sing. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. So it's free. Believe and receive this gift of salvation from Jesus, but then give him your whole life, everything. Because true life is found in Jesus alone. The Word became flesh. The Word hung on a cross. The Word was crucified. And then the Word was raised on the third day. And His words can set you free from sin and Satan and death. And in response, we simply worship Him with our lives. We give our lives to Him. We give all last week to Him. And we give all this week to Him. We repent of our sins and we commit to live lives that honor him. We serve his church, which is his body. We love God, and we love one another. Why? John wants us to stare at Jesus on the cross, in between criminals, on a cross that we deserve, but it was his cross. He obediently took it for you and for me. Oh, the wonderful cross. When the word of God got on the middle cross and died to rescue sinners like us. Will you believe in Jesus the Savior and receive the gift of salvation and then give all of your life, take your own cross and go to him. Give him everything. And in those areas you give him, you will be set free. He got on the cross to die in your place. Oh, that wonderful cross. Let's pray. Lord, we admit it is hard to think long about Jesus hanging on that cross in the place of criminals, in the place of shame, in the place of mockery, 
with a mocking sign above his head, with a crown of thorns pressed into his head, stripped naked by the soldiers who had no care for him. They wanted his clothing. Dying in the place where death row inmates and murderous revolutionaries were supposed to die. But Lord, he willingly did it. He went to that cross. And this week, Lord, set us free from our sins. Set us free from the parts of our lives that we haven't given over to you. Help us bear our own cross and give all of our lives to you. But in every step of faithful discipleship, Lord, remind us that we can't earn our salvation, that Jesus paid it all and he earned our righteousness in his perfect life and death and then in you raising him from the grave. Thank you that we have a good and glorious and perfect king and help us trust him today and help us know what it's going to look like to bear our cross this week. Whatever suffering you have in place for us, whatever obedience will cost us, may we stare at Jesus on that cross in our place for the endurance to obey you. Help us receive everything from you this week with joy and gladness. In Christ's name we pray, amen.